And Dr. Valetti, as we've kind of touched on a little bit, but is really, uh, again, at the center of that quest and, and a fascinating figure. Again, as you mentioned, I mean, for one thing, not many highly trained cardiologists jettison their medical career to, to sort of take a flyer on a new venture that, that's just brimming with uncertainty, but that's exactly what he did. And on the other hand, another thing that kind of makes him distinctive from the get-go and, 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 and a compelling figure all throughout, uh, as an example, is that when he was, uh, he recalls in the film that when he was growing up as a child in India, he would dream of meat growing on trees, basically as an alternative to, to the killing of animals. So you kind of know this guy is unusual in all kinds of ways and, and that some of this is going to drive that quest and, and so that in some ways it almost does make sense that a guy would say, okay, I'm, gonna, I'm a, a hotshot cardiologist, but I'm going to set that aside for now to pursue this. Exactly. That's why uh, following him and, and his wonderful spouse, Mernalini, who's also a doctor, following them back to India, uh, you know, to include that part of the personal in the film was really important because it, it was the, it's the opportunity in the film to understand Uma's roots, uh, what motivates him, where he comes from, and his early dream of wanting to help solve the world's problems and um, his love for animals. Yeah. And uh, as the film unfolds, we see Dr. Valetti and her colleagues uh, at, at Memphis Meats, again, now Upside Foods, um, in some very specific settings, important meetings of one kind or another, hearings and so on. Um, so I, 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 it's clear now why you decided this, this was the film and this was the guy. But f on their side of it, how did, how did they know, like, hey, uh, we, we, we should give Liz this kind of access? Because some of that access is, seems to me really unusual to be in some of those meetings or in some of those hearings the way you are with the film. Yeah, and access is everything. If you want to tell a good documentary story yeah. um, over time, if you don't have access, then you really don't have a good story. So yeah. securing that behind-the-scenes access early on was the key yeah. to ensuring any kind of um, possibility with this film. So he also had an instinct um, about the film. So uh. he... I was introduced to him through a mutual friend, um, Bruce Friedrich, who had just launched the Good Food Institute. Um, maybe you've interviewed him before. I have um, indeed. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. So Bruce and I are friends, and Bruce introduced me to Uma, and Uma trusted the connection. Okay. And and the recommendation of Bruce. Um, and probably your body of work, too, I would think, as well, right? Yeah, it, well, yeah, yeah. exactly. My, yeah. my body of work and then also the introduction mm -hmm. and then, the, the, you know, my, my vision to follow Uma and his team over time, um, he just agreed to it. So it was good timing. Yeah. So there's <clears throat> so many uh, elements to this, and it, it, it is, you know, uh, I mean, the film's not long, but the but the story that it tracks, as we touch on, is long. It's five years or so. So we really see the evolution of this this kind of brainchild startup 
and then how it becomes what it becomes. And yet there's some some interesting and and like uh, sort of weird bedfellows here and there. I mean, I think you mentioned this kind of briefly, but but I was super struck by the fact that traditional meat producers like Cargill voice their support for Memphis Meats, and I think Cargill and Tyson are are like early or somewhere along the line at least are investors in this venture, which seems hard to reconcile at first. Yes, yes, I agree. Um, it was a sh- it was a surprise. Yeah, but does that further, in your mind, speak to? How distinctive, I mean, it really all comes down to Dr. Valetti, really. So was it just the, with what he was like and his vision that you got people that are like totally conventional, traditional meat producers investing in something that's not necessarily eager to put them out of business, but certainly provide a distinct alternative to, to how they do what they do? Seems counterintuitive almost initially. I agree that it initially it feels um, counterintuitive. However, um, the, the the deeper uh, you understand about this um, and how the story unfolds, it makes sense. Because if you don't have these, you know, massive transnational um, uh, meat producers on board, then how can this really get off the ground yeah. in a significant, meaningful way at scale? And yeah. that is really the, the, the big hurdle that lies ahead is how, because the innovators of these startups, they have succeeded. It's, it, there's a victory in the science behind this. Yeah. They, they, you know, they have created real meat that, uh, you know, has the taste, texture, feel, everything of real meat. Um, there's been tastings and chefs and all kinds of people that uh, can can um, provide testimonials um, about that side of things. Yeah. Um, so the, the big feat that lies ahead is scalability and affordability and accessibility. Those are the three big things. Yeah. Um, that lie ahead for this industry to succeed. And so a CEO like Uma Belletti, who is like a master diplomat, his vision has always been to work under a big tent to include everybody, all parties and stakeholders, to create the transformation that is truly needed. Yeah. Um, And I think there's been some pushback and... and uh, quite a bit of debate around whether that's the right approach or not. But certainly for this, you know, as a new food ecosystem to get off the ground, it needs to intersect with the existing food system, uh, which is a vast, uh, you know, multi-tiered, um, you know, multi-trillion dollar, <laughs> you know, giant, uh, operation. Yeah. Uh, when you when you really dive deep into what it is, um, and you know, with population growth, and you know, by 2050, uh, you know, you know, the amount of people that will be on this planet, 10 billion people, 100, 10 billion, yes, 10 billion, and that meat consumption is expected to double by then. Right. Um, the 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 meat industry knows that they can't meet the demand of the people. And that's actually a quote from Uma from the film. Yeah. 
Um, and so this is something that they've invested in because they understand that the conventional mode of meat production is completely unsustainable. Not to mention it's completely inhumane and archaic. Right. And it may be that in our lifetime, this transformation takes place. Yeah, so in that context, it makes sense that the Cargills and the Tysons uh, are on board. Meanwhile, we also see along the way that representatives of various um, cattle organizations uh, don't look at it quite the same way. Right. I think there's some ranchers and farmers that are, um, you know, they've got some questions and and uh, there's some pushback around labeling issues. Right. Um, well, they, yeah, I guess they object even to the use of the word meat in this context. Per- correct. Yeah. And that's included in the film. Yeah. So that battle is represented um, in the film um, because we were able to gain access to some historic meetings that took place in the U.S., um, through the FDA and and the USDA. And it was, you know, people that could come and on the public record voice their questions and concerns. And so it was an interesting environment to be in because you had, you know, the, you know, the startup world and, and the CEOs and pioneers of, you know, Silicon Valley in the room. And then you had, you know, ranchers and farmers from the Midwest. So it was, it was an interesting, almost collision of cultures. Yeah. Um, but, but, but also working together because, uh, you know, the agencies, the FDA and the USDA um, want this to succeed. Yeah, that's partly what I meant earlier, too, about access, because some of the things that you present in the film... I was like, wow, that, that's, uh, that's something that she got a camera in there as this kind of discussion was going on. And, and also, just kind of a little bit wise guy, but it's, it seems like ultimately by the time the film was done, there, there's almost like a cast of thousands that we've met in terms of people that are involved in this, that weigh in on this, that testify about this, that have some kind of opinion uh, of one kind or another perspective. And there's a lot of folks that... Uh, that end up on screen um, and meet the future. And did it did it ever feel like wow this this is a lot of folks to kind of lasso into uh, to one film? It did, and I think as a filmmaker, um, for me, I always had to come back to okay, you know, what is my approach to storytelling? And it's always character driven. Uh, so this is about Uma and his mission. Um, it's about his team and how they're growing and the rapid acceleration. So that's an entry point that's representative for the growth or birth of the industry worldwide. But then at a certain point, you also need a wider lens, like literally and figuratively, mm-hmm. you know, to be able to include other voices or more context. Yeah. And that's when I realized, wow, the media plays a huge role in this because they're so interested in this topic. So you'll notice in the film, there's a number of journalists within different environments that are interviewing Uma, or um, there's also sequences, like segments throughout the film of different um you know, headlines from yeah. the media. Yeah. And I think that for me was the way to do it rather than cutting away to different talking head interviews with 
you know, dissenting voices. Yeah. Um, that wasn't the style for this film. And so it was a treasure trove to be at the USDA in, in the fall of 2018, um, to, be, to be in that room with people speaking on the public record at the microphone at the front. Yeah. Um, you know, and there was such a diverse uh, pool of people in the room um, expressing their thoughts and opinions and questions. That was really an opportunity to understand and, and to hear from ranchers and farmers, you know, the meat industry. Yeah. And to hear from uh, public health uh, interests or, um, you know, um, to hear from the different startups. Because yeah. we're always with Uma and his team. Well, what about the other startups? Right. So it was a great opportunity. But, of course, the challenge when you're making a film is that you don't want it to just all be talking. <laughs> sure. Yeah. And, and, right? a, and a zillion perspectives that it's like, well, it's hard to know what to make of all this. Yeah. Yeah. But I also always trust uh, in audiences to uh, formulate and come up with their own opinions. And like I said, always my intention, my motivation is to open hearts and minds. Yeah. Um, my films are persuasive, but they're not didactic. Yeah. So, Liz, we're sort of nearing the end of our time, so let's be sure. We'll hopefully have a couple, another question or two after this, but I want to be sure to cover exactly how folks listening can watch Meet the Future. So it's available, I mentioned, on April 5th. That's next Tuesday. So how would people go about seeing the film if, uh, in light of the conversation we've just had? Yeah, so it's available in the U.S. and select territories. Um, April 5th onwards, um, on demand. So mm -hmm. Apple TV, people can pre-order it on Apple TV today. Yeah. Um, and spread the word and follow us on social media. Meet the Future Film. Um, go to our website. Everything's there, including an educational guide, uh, including, well, so many things that you want to learn more and watch the film and click on the button to watch the film. So meetthefuture.com, M-E-A-T, meetthefuture.com. Now, I had it, uh, maybe I had it, maybe I miswrote it down. So it's not .org, it's .com. .com. Yeah, okay. So Meet the Future, and again, as by now anybody listening would know, it's M-E-A-T, of course, meetthefuture.com for more information about the film. And again, you can see it as of next Tuesday, Apple TV. And uh, so, Liz, thanks uh, so much for making the time to uh, join us again on Talking Animals. It was great speaking with you, and uh, obviously I enjoyed the film, and uh, uh, I'm sure other people are going to find it uh, just a really fascinating, rewarding experience to uh, to check it out and, and dive into the, the UMA world. Oh, wow. Thank you so much. It's great talking to you. I love it. Okay. Thank you so much. Yeah. Great question. Oh, thanks. Thank you. Take care. Yeah. Bye. Take care. Bye. Bye. In a moment, I'll speak with Eric Keaton of the SPCA Tampa Bay about the organization's 31st annual pet walk happening this Saturday, April 2nd, along the waterfront downtown St. Petersburg. Details on that event in just a moment. Right now, that we're going to step into the comedy corner with Alex Edelman and a piece called Coco the Gorilla in today's comedy corner on Talking Animals on WMNL. Can I have a round of applause if you've heard of Coco the Gorilla? A few of you guys clapping, some of you not. Coco the gorilla, for those of you that don't know, is a gorilla 
that speaks fluent sign language. And in 1999, this is true, Coco met Robin Williams. And last year, they told Coco that Robin Williams had passed away, and Coco went, Coco friend, Coco sad. Which is sad, but on the plus side, how funny was Robin Williams that even gorillas were like, this guy is unbelievable. Have you seen Jumanji? It's a little offensive to us, but still. My comedy hardly works if you're not a Jew from New York City. Robin Williams crossed the species barrier. Second of all, and obviously, did they have to tell the gorilla? that Robin Williams had passed away? She wasn't gonna catch it on Twitter or anything like that. Someone made a conscious decision to walk into a gorilla enclosure. Just like... Hi, Coco. Can you put down the banana? <laughs> we have some bad news. <laughs> and they tell Coco, and Coco's like, Oh no! All right, that was Alex Edelman. In today's Comedy Corner with a piece called Coco the Gorilla, taken from a performance at the Just for Laughs Comedy Festival in Montreal. Now it's time to speak with Eric Keaton from the SPCA Tampa Bay about the big annual pet walk taking place this Saturday in St. Pete. Here's Eric Keaton on Talking Animals on WMNF. Good morning, Eric. Good morning, Duncan. Thanks, thanks for, for having us. Oh, thanks for joining us today on Talking Animals. So let's quickly at least start with just a brief overview of the SPCA Tampa Bay itself. Super, yes. SPCA Tampa Bay, our animal shelter is a for-all animal shelter, meaning we accept all breeds, species, shapes, and sizes. And we've been located in uh, Largo, Florida since 1940, but we also have a public pet hospital in St. Petersburg, and that opened about uh, five years ago. Annually, um, Duncan, we take care of about 7,000 animals every year, and that also includes wildlife. So a lot of folks uh, every day come to us and realize, I had no idea that you guys are more than just dogs and cats uh, because we also have pigs, ducks. We even have a quail right now. Wow. And we've had tortoises and, and tarantulas uh, come to our for-all shelter. So we're quite unique in the Tampa Bay area. I'll say. Well, I would think that uh, to, to fund some of those efforts and services and stuff, that it's probably something like uh, this Saturday's event. So, And I think we could safely call this Saturday's event venerable. Tell me a little bit about the, uh, the history of it and uh, other elements as well. Oh, definitely. This is the 31st year for our pet walk, and really the last uh, few years, 
uh, we've kind of had some uh, ups and downs with the, the whole event. Uh, in 2018, the organization decided, hey, we're having this during the fall, and those natural disaster hurricanes keep interrupting our big fundraiser that we have every September and October. So we decided to move it to the spring of 2020. And, of course, we all know what happened during the spring of yeah. 2020. Wow. We had to have a virtual event. So really last year, Duncan, was the first time we actually had an event in April of 2021, where we can invite the public, they bring their animals out to us, whether they adopted from us or not, and had that community party on Saturday and celebrated all things uh, animals and celebrated all the fundraising that hundreds of people and uh, corporations do for us throughout the Tampa Bay area. And this Saturday on April 2nd uh, will actually be our second pet walk that we've had in the last uh, three or four years. We have uh, several hundred people that have registered already. Uh, we've raised uh, almost 72, 73% of our goal, as it is one of our two biggest fundraisers a year. And we appreciate all that these uh, big corporations and small corporations and, and other animal rescue uh, organizations have done to help us uh, with our mission. That sounds great, Eric. Sounds super encouraging. Just so we don't run out of time because we're nearing the end of our time, uh, let's hit the other key details. So you mentioned it's this Saturday, April 2nd. I believe it's uh, 8.30 a.m. to noon. That's right. You still have an opportunity to fundraise and join us. Just go to PetWalk.org. Sign up is free, and you can join us for the big party on Saturday. The festivities start at 8.30. The walk starts at 10.00. And if you're so inclined, you can even enter your pet into the pet costume contest that morning, which is a hoot. Can't go wrong with a pet co- a costume contest. Let me ask you <laughs> this. So one, one thing, uh, as we're preparing to talk about this, since it's decidedly called a pet walk, not like a dog walk, whatever. So I'm, nonetheless, I imagine the pet walk mostly involves dogs. Does it sometimes include other animals? Do people bring other pets to participate? Yeah, they do. I mean, there's a handful of other pets as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I mentioned earlier that, um, you know, we are a for-all shelter. Yeah. And I'd love to see somebody bring out uh, one of their pigs that walks on a leash because we have had them before. Sure. They would probably steal the show. But it, it, I'm sure there's somebody out there that has a pig that will walk on a leash. Yeah. They don't have to walk the whole uh, mile or two miles for the actual pet walk. Even mm. if they just show up and celebrate what we call humanimality, the uh, bond between humans and animals, yeah, uh, they would enjoy themselves. That's great. Well, yeah, and I because I kind of doubt the quail's probably going to participate no, this, this okay. Saturday. But I don't think we've had many birds. Yeah, I would think not. But but the pig seems like a good candidate for sure. So uh, cats and their little carriers sometimes. Yeah. So it's not like you had quite a few people register. How many people do you expect at the actual walk, would you say, uh, Eric? Uh, for registered right now, we have more than 400, about 436. And you wow. can see that number is always updating on the petwalk.org uh, website. Okay. But counting all the vendors and everything, we're probably going to see and staff see more than 600 people there. Um, you know, last year we had uh, some limitations because of COVID, but this year, it, it's a big community party, and as I mentioned, you know, spread the humanimality, bring out your pets, uh, share their stories with uh, people who love animals. 
Yeah. Well, it sounds great. We're really looking forward to it. So, again, the, the place to go to find out more and or to register is petwalk.org. And, again, that's for this Saturday, April 2nd, and uh, in, in support of SPCA Tampa Bay. So, Eric, thank you so much for joining us today on Talking Animals. Thank you, Duncan. Coming up on WNF, the music kicks back in with Scott Elliott from noon to 3 p.m., a glorious three hours of music followed by Robin uh, Hooper with yet another three hours of music, and then we just keep the music coming as we roll into our block of Latin programming and beyond. Meanwhile, on this show at the moment, as the prize for Name That Animal Tune, I'll be offering something fabulous from the Talking Animals Vault to the first person who calls 813-239-9663 and correctly identifies this animal song. It's Name That Animal Tune on Talking Animals on WMNF. take any guesses that come in off the air because we just have just about reached the end of today's edition of Talking Animals on WMNF. We'll be back next Wednesday with another edition of the show. Invite to uh, tune in for that. Also invite to visit TalkingAnimals.net for audio archives of every show we've ever broadcast. My Apple Podcasts are available there too as well as other podcast platforms. There's also a link to our social media pages and more. Subscribe to our newsletter to find out about our guests a couple of days beforehand. Other news as well from the Talking Animals world. That's all at TalkingAnimals.net. I'm Duncan Strauss. Thanks very much for listening. Have a good week. Be kind to animals. Be kind to others. Be kind to yourself. This is Talking Animals on WMNF, Tampa, Brandon, Clearwater, Largo, Wikiwachi, and beyond. NPR News Headlines is next, and followed by the great Scott Elliott after that. We'll see you next Wednesday on Talking Animals.